You may be seated for the scripture reading today. Our scripture reading is found in the book of Titus, chapter 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. I want to begin by today by asking, what do you, what do you think is the most dangerous heresy or false teaching that you've ever experienced uh, in your life? What is a teaching that you see that sounds really good? It makes you feel good, but it's wrong. I'll give you a couple of hints. It's, uh, it flourishes in academia. It, uh, you hear it a lot in political speeches. And uh, you hear it uh, at almost every commencement address that you've ever been to. It strikes to the heart of your pride. It makes you feel good. This is a heresy, a false teaching, though, that has been around since Adam and Eve. It's called humanism. And humanism, in its purest form, is where you are the center of your universe. That it's all about me. And we know that uh, that's a can be a dangerous teaching because it, 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 it abstracts from what God does for us. And today we're going to talk about something different. We're going to talk about grace. It was uh, a, an author by the name of William Ernest Henley. He was born in Gloucester, England in 1849. He was crippled since childhood. He wrote a poem called Invictus. And this poem, Invictus, is the most quoted poem of commencement addresses across the United States. I'm going to read two verses. It says, Out of the night that covers me, bright as the sun from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged the punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Now, this is heavy stuff. When you understand that you're the captain of your soul, that you're the master of your fate, that you are unconquerable, it makes you want to dig in and work harder. And that works in many things. It works if you're a football coach, or it works if you've got a, a condo. We've got several, uh, quite a few people here that own property in southern in, in Florida that are being pounded now by the hurricane. We have one family that used to be members here. They moved to Florida and their kids said, you got to fly back up north. So they were here this weekend in church. You know, you, it works when you have to work hard to do things of this world. 
But what has happened is that this attitude of working harder, harder, digging in, being stronger, on your own, being the captain of your soul, it also has spilled into our relationship with God and also in our relationship with others. Uh, The problem comes when we take humanism and we try harder and we adopt what is probably one of the most popular Bible passages in all the world. And uh, I'm going to start the passage and see if you can finish it. I bet you know this one. Here's the way it is. God helps those who... See, you've memorized that passage too. (laughs) The problem is that's not in the Bible. That is nowhere in Scripture to be found. Well, at the time of the Reformation, 500 years ago, Martin Luther and many of the other reformers went back to the Bible. And in Scripture, they found that this humanistic philosophy about me first, about the world centering around me, about me trying harder, about me somehow trying, and it's rational, to try to please God and get on His good side, they realized that that's not what the Bible teaches. And instead, uh, we talk about the three foundational principles of the Reformation, and the first one we're going to talk about today is that we are saved by grace alone. What is grace? Grace is God's love to you that you don't deserve, that you haven't merited, that you haven't worked for, but that God has freely given to you so that you have a relationship with a God who loves you that goes on today and it goes on forever. One of the clearest passages about grace comes from that passage that we just heard in Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read parts of that again. Listen real carefully. It says, at one time, we too were foolish disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But what happened? When the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of mercy. He saved us. Why do we need grace? Here in the passage, the Apostle Paul says we need grace because we've all got the same problem. It's called sin, and unless we understand that we have a need for a Savior, we will not know about grace. And so first, we have to consider our sinfulness. He writes that we were foolish and disobedient. In other words, we take what we think we can do when it comes to God, but then the things we can't do, we sweep under the carpet. Says we were enslaved by passion and pleasures of this world. You know, so many of the things of this world look so good. And think of all the blessings that we have the blessings of employment. We get a paycheck. We're able to buy houses and cars and food. We're able to go on vacations and do all these great things. But here, the Apostle Paul says that all these good things can sometimes enslave us. And they do. Just think of. How we work and we work and we work to get ahead and, and uh, uh, we strive and we think that we're there and we always want a little bit more. And so it's like we're in slavery to that. And not only that, but here it says because of that, then we live in envy. You know what it means to live in envy? It means that we compare ourselves with one another. We're always looking at what other people have and what they've accumulated and what they've earned and the trips that they take. And their kids are always better than yours. Why is that, you know? And it goes on and on and on. And as a result, it says they hate us and we hate them. All these divisions. 
That's what sin does for us. Sin in Scripture is more than a regrettable lapse or an occasional stumble. The sin that we are born with shouts out to God, I am the captain of my own soul. I am the master of my fate. And God, when he gets down to it, I don't really need you. One of the most stinging indictments of humanity is found in Isaiah chapter 53. We read these words that all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned not to God's way. We've turned to our own way. Your way may be intoxication with getting more and more and more. My way may may be accumulation of getting all that stuff. Another's way may be sensual stimulation or religious self-promotion, but in the end, it says every single one of us has turned not not, not to God's way, but to our own way. So what does God do as a result of all that? What does God do as a result of the sin that we are born with and the sin that we commit? Well, He's not only disappointed with us, but He has every right to condemn us and to punish us and to retaliate against us. God could have reacted to our sinfulness like some of our U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. One day, a troop member received a Dear John letter from his longtime girlfriend back in the States. And in the letter, not only did she say that she was breaking up with him, but she asked him, she said, please, in the letter, send my latest picture back to me because I want to put it in the county newspaper for my engagement picture. I hope you understand. Ouch. This really hurt. But his buddies came to his defense, and so they had a plan. They went through the barracks, and they collected all the girlfriend's pictures of all the other soldiers in his barracks. And they filled an entire shoebox. The jilted soldier then mailed the photos to his ex-girlfriend with this note. Please find your enclosed picture and return the rest. For the life of me, I can't remember which one you were. (laughs) God had every right to retaliate against you and me. But that's not who God is. Who is God? You know, the Bible tells us the very quality, the, the number one attribute of God is this. God is love. And in spite of our waywardness, in spite of our sinfulness, what did God do? He loved us. That's grace. That's grace alone. Our text says that this grace showed up. It says, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we did, but because of His mercy. God could not overlook our sins. Otherwise, He would would have endorsed sin. God did not punish our sins. Otherwise, He would have destroyed us. Instead, He found a way to punish the sin but to preserve the sinner. How did he do that? He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to a hill called Calvary, where Jesus endured not only the nails of the Romans or the mockery of the crowd or the spear of the soldier, but he endured the very anger of God. It was there on the cross that Jesus received the punishment for sin that we deserved our hell, our damnation. 
But because he's God, he then rose again on the third day. And he conquered our sin. And as a result, we hear these three words, and these are the three most sweet, sweet words that you will ever hear. And here in this section of Scripture, the Apostle Paul repeats it twice. There you can see it. He saved us. I want you to say that with me, would you? He saved us. That's grace. You couldn't save yourself, so what did God do? Say it again. He saved us. We were not alone. God has come to us. And He lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Comes to us first at our baptism. And then that faith is renewed and strengthened. Today, like through the sacrament of Holy Communion, Jesus comes to us and He makes us strong in the assurance that He saved us and that it's not anything we do. And as a result, we celebrate that grace. We live in that grace. It's pure grace. It's a one-way action. You know, and the grace that we receive in Jesus is a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And in one of those prophecies in Ezekiel chapter 36, the Lord says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put a new heart and a new spirit in you. It was in the spring of 2010 that Sarah and Todd Torch took their family on a ski trip in March, spring break, out to Colorado. Their daughter Taylor was killed when her head hit into a tree. What followed for Tara and her husband Todd was a parent's worst nightmare. A funeral, a burial, a flood of questions, and many, many, many tears. They decided to donate their daughter's organs. Few people needed a heart more than a a high school student named Patricia Winters. Her heart had already begun to fail five years before, leaving her so weak that she had to drop out of school. She couldn't sleep much. She laid on the couch all the time. It was a terrible life. But Taylor's heart gave her a fresh new start. Tara and, and Todd had only one request, though. They wanted to be able to hear the beating heart of their daughter one more time. So they flew from Dallas to Phoenix, and they went to Patricia's home to listen to Taylor's heart. The two mothers embraced for a long time. Then Patricia offered Tara and Todd a stethoscope. And when they listened to the healthy rhythm of, an, of that heart inside Patricia, whose heart did they hear? They did not hear the beating heart of a stranger. They heard the beating heart of their daughter. It was a different body, but it was still the heart of their child. Friends, why is grace so important? Because of what God has done for you. He's given you a new heart. As you trust in Him, Jesus is not only for you, Jesus is not only with you, Jesus is not only beside you, He is in you. In fact, in Paul's writings in the New Testament under the Holy Spirit, this is mentioned 216 times, Christ in you. The Gospel of John mentions it 26 times. As a result of God's grace, Christ is in you. And the bottom line is, say it with me again, He saved us. 
He saved us. That's grace. So that now when God hears your heart, He's listening and He's hearing the heart of His Son, Jesus, who gave His life for you on the cross and rose again. As a result, it says, Paul says, having been justified by His grace, we have become heirs. Do you know what an heir is? An heir is someone who benefits from the success of another person. An heir does nothing to receive what they get. We are heirs. We don't choose to have God come into us and give us new hearts. It's all His action. We can't earn or deserve anything to be saved, to earn God's favor. God did it for us. It's by grace alone. And so in spite of all the self-help books that you find, in spite of all the hard work that you do, and I praise God for you and everything that you do, the fact is, God loves you the way that you are, and that's grace. And that counters every kind of do-it-yourself religion. And yet, just as there were critics in Martin Luther's day, so critics appear in every generation and in our generation too convincing you, reminding you that if you want to be right with God, there's something that you have to do. You better get to work because you're the captain of your own soul. You're the master of your fate. There's another author by the name of Dorothea Day, and she answers the original poem that I read that was called Invictus. The name of her poem directly counters, uh, it's, it's called my captain, and it counters the humanistic philosophy or heresy that we talked about. Look at these two verses. It says, out of the light that dazzles me, bright as the sun from pole to pole, I thank the God I know to be for Christ, the conqueror of my soul. I have no fear, though straight the gate. He cleared from punishment the scroll. Christ is the master of my fate. Christ is the captain of my soul. You are never alone. Why? Because of grace alone. So say it with me one more time, those three sweet words. He saved us, the captain of our soul. Amen.